Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Hey everyone, welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin LaCrosse, and today I'm here with the period lady. Yes, indeed. Nicole Jardim is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. Her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many more. Rather than treating problems or symptoms, Nicole treats women by addressing the root cause of what's really going on in their bodies and minds. Nicole is the author of Fix Your Period and the co-author of The Happy Balance, a recipe book with over 80 hormone balancing recipes. And she's also the co-host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. Hey, Nicole, welcome. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so you are known as the period girl. How did you get known as the period girl? What's up with that? I know it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I, I was the most unlikely period girl, but I will say that it was kind of a nickname that just sort of stuck. I remember years ago, um, <clears throat> I would get messages from people and they would say things like, oh yeah, you know, this person said that you're the period girl or you're that girl that fixes periods or whatever. So it was something along those lines. And it just kind of over time became a nickname that just I adopted because people kept calling me that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of just stuck, huh? Yeah. So, and so like, what were you doing? Like what inspired you to like get into women's health and, you know, help women with their periods? Oh, my own personal journey. And I know we were just talking about this before we started recording, but it was really one of those things that I fell into mostly because of my own experience of basically terrible periods. And it all started as a teenager. I remember uh, having a period being and it being completely normal. And then over a few years, it suddenly turned into a complete nightmare. And I had super heavy flow. I had terrible pain to the point where I wasn't going to school for days at a time. It was just really a mess. And my mom had said to me at the time that she had had really terrible periods too. So she just assumed that, that was totally normal. That was the thing that happened to girls who got periods. And ultimately, in the end, uh, I decided to see her gynecologist who wrote me a prescription for the birth control pill. Mm-hmm. And I took that for about five years. And initially, I thought, oh, wow, I have totally found my period silver bullet. I'm like, yeah. sweet. I don't have heavy periods anymore. I don't have period pain. My periods come when they're supposed to come, you know, every mm-hmm. 28 days or whatever it was mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, my moods had stabilized. Everything was amazing. So yeah. I thought, mm-hmm. well, sign me up for this thing. I'm, I'm on this for life. 
And within about a year or two, I started to have all of these side effects that ranged from chronic yeast infections to painful sex, to my hair falling out, to melasma starting all over my face. It was just a mess. And I thought, okay, well, I've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and I don't know what to do. So eventually I went off of the pill and I thankfully had the guidance of an acupuncturist who I was seeing at the time because I'd essentially given up on conventional medicine just because I was getting the same old story over and over again. And no one could really tell me what was wrong with me. No one could explain the symptoms I was having, much less give me a, a, a solution. So ultimately, I saw this acupuncturist, came off the pill, and just started to do little things like changing little parts of my diet and exercising better and managing my stress, stuff that I had never done. I was in college at the time. It was just completely new to me. And that was really what set me on this path. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can help other people with these issues. And that was when I went and did training and, you know, just did the whole thing. And here we are mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> many uh-huh. years later. Yes. Fast forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it really interesting. You know, there's a lot of situations where physicians will put girls on the pill because they're experiencing difficult periods. And, and you're right. Like I was put on the pill at 15 because I was sexually active. And so, you know, it served its purpose. I didn't get pregnant. You know, I'm glad my mom did it, you know, that kind of thing. And I experienced very similar to what you experienced. You know, I had like very light periods. They came predictably, you know, I mean, as far as the period thing, it made it a lot easier to deal with. And, and I didn't have um, like the symptoms that you experienced after a year or so, but after, you know, after five years of being on the pill, I was moving toward more towards a holistic lifestyle being, you know, like coming aware of herbs and, you know, these different things, nutrition and, and putting these artificial hormones just really fell out of alignment with what I was doing. And then I realized I have no idea how to protect myself from getting pregnant without using the pill, <laughs> you right? know? Yeah. Yes. So that triggered a whole quest for information myself, you know? So I find it fascinating that, you know, like your experiences with your period, you know, led you down this road and, you know, turn into a lifelong passion career, you know, this is what you do. And for myself too, you know, it's like these experiences, you know, this has been my lifelong passion too, you know, educating women about their bodies and all this stuff. And so, so, yeah, it is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. And, you know, and something that, you know, happens to you as you're a teenager and in your early twenties, you know, I mean, I guess this is typical for that age anyway, like these things shape your life and guide your trajectory. Oh, they absolutely do. And I I think it's so great because we've been able to turn these experiences that we had into really positive experiences for thousands and thousands of people. And and that's that was really my goal. I thought in the beginning, if I could just help a few women go through what I not go through what I went through, then my work here is done. And mm-hmm. it is incredible the ripple effect of just speaking about your own personal experience. Yeah, it's so true. And so I'm really curious, like, what are your thoughts about putting teenage girls on the pill? Because, you know, it's like they're going through puberty, you know, there's like all these hormonal changes, and all of a sudden, we're regulating their hormones kind of thing. And it's like, we're taking away that natural, normal ebb and flow of hormones. And so I wonder, like, is there any long-term consequences or like, what are there, like, what, like, are there risks? Are like, 
are we doing something bad to the hormones in the future? Like, you know, it's like, I know that the research and all that, the doctors are going to say, yeah, no worries. It's totally fine. We've been using the pill for 20, 30, 50 years. I think it's actually been more like 50 years, you know, that they've been doing various versions of the pill. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really curious about your thoughts. Oh, I have many. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. You know, I I think one of the, one of the hallmarks of teenage periods is that they are erratic and they are not at all really very predictable for the most part, especially for the first five to seven years Mm -hmm. after a child gets their period. And I think that we also have to remember that this is a body that is basically going from a completely anovulatory state to a state of regular ovulation and periods. So it's definitely a challenging transition. And those periods are definitely going to reflect that transition by being a little all over the place. So like I said, these first five to seven years after this initial period, as the reproductive system adjusts to its new role, a girl or a menstruator will likely experience occasionally uh, anovulatory cycles they will also likely have slower follicle development, meaning the follicle in their ovary or the follicles in their ovaries will be slower to develop, meaning that they, you know, they might not ovulate, hence the anovulatory cycles consistently. And they also might have a smaller dominant follicle. So what then, you know, say an adult woman. And what all of this really means is that ovulation just might not occur as consistently. And without ovulation con- uh, happening consistently, you'll find that periods come more frequently, there's heavier bleeding, uh, there is you know, more um, spotting, um, things like that. So there are definitely issues that show up that are more than likely temporary just because they're, you know, the endocrine system and this ovulatory cycle is just trying to get its bearings. The problem with it is that these are all symptoms that doctors see and say, oh, well, we'll just put you on the pill for that. And the issue or the fundamental issue I have with this is that we are essentially shutting down the this girl or menstruator's uh, endocrine system, like endocrine function. Um, we are shutting down that conversation between the hypothalamus pituitary and the ovaries. And so this feedback loop that would normally happen does not happen anymore at this really young age. And and that results in major issues down the line, potentially. And this is not the case for everyone, of course, but there can't, you can't be on a a hormonal birth control pill for a decade and not expect that there are issues because ovulation is so critical to our health. And I'll get into all of that, but it's really important for, I think, parents to know that these, you know, shutting down this conversation, it can be detrimental, not only in the short term, but in the long term as well. And, you know, and so my top of mind question right now, of course, is, is why is ovulation so critical for our health? I know, right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, so many reasons. Do you have all day? Uh, I do, except, well, I do have to work, but yeah, uh-huh. I do have to get some things done. But yes, it is a long conversation and we can always have you back and continue it if we run out of time. All right, fair enough. We will do that. We'll make that deal. So... I think what I, what I always like to reiterate is that ovulation, regular ovulation, that is, 
is, is really a sign of optimal health and fertility at any age. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you're an adolescent or you're a woman who's in their 20s, 30s, or 40s. The, the goal here is to have consistent ovulation. And I understand, what, and as a parent thinking, well, I don't want my adolescent to be fertile. The thing is, is that ovulation, healthy cycles, and fertility all go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. So that's where you know other forms of uh, birth control come into play. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, uh, when it comes to uh, teenagers and anyone really who is of childbearing age, ovulation is considered this vital bodily function that everyone should be experiencing regularly, whether they want to get pregnant or not. And I know that goes completely against sort of the conventional medical uh, belief that this is an optional thing that we don't really need to have. And I always find it so interesting that something like this, that ovulation, which is a vital body process that allows females to make these really important hormones, estrogen and progesterone and testosterone to a bit of a lesser degree, but still really important hormones for many different reasons, which I'll get into, are totally okay with shutting this whole process down. And we don't have these hormones being you know, deposited into our hormone bank. Uh, and then what ends up happening is that, that we run into problems later down the line. But we're okay with that. And it's, we would never dream of doing that to boys or men. Like we would never say, oh, well, we're just going to shut down your testosterone production for like a decade. And when you're ready to have kids, you know, just come back. <laughs> it's no big deal. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that has never happened. And yet we're doing this to girls and women, which is to me a huge problem. And so these two hormones, estrogen and progesterone in particular, so they're often referred to as the, as the two key female sex hormones. And they are, of course, known for reproduction, childbearing, the menstrual cycle, things like that. But they play significant roles in other bodily functions as well. So one of the first is brain health and cognitive function. Estrogen and progesterone are your brain's friends. They are, uh, you know, responsible for uh, how your brain does what it does, meaning your moods, uh, how, you know, how healthy and happy you feel on a regular basis, whether you feel depressed and sad on a regular basis, they play a really critical role in that. And this is part of the reason why when people are on hormonal birth control, they, uh, you know, might experience major mood disorders. And this is also a reason too, when someone is in a low estrogen state after say they have been on birth control for a long time and they're not ovulating or they're not ovulating for some other reason, they might experience depression and, um, and other low mood disorders. And then the other few things that are really critical or at least these hormones play a critical role in is sleep regulation. So again, if you're in a low estrogen state or you're in menopause, sleep is hard to come by. Uh, progesterone also supports quality sleep. There's bone density, same as, same as the sleep regulation. When we're low estrogen, low progesterone, uh, or you know, we have amenorrhea, meaning that we don't have a period, or premature ovarian failure, for instance, the risk of bone-related problems goes up significantly. And there is research to show that teenagers who have been put on the pill and have not been ovulating have more bone density issues and develop more bone-related problems than those who are not on the pill during adolescence. The others that I think are really crucial are heart health. Heart disease is tied to low estrogen states. 
and breast and uterine health too. So progesterone protects us, protects both of those from cancer. So that's really just kind of like a snapshot of the ways in which having regular ovulatory cycles are so vital for our overall health throughout the menstrual life cycle, pretty much from puberty to perimenopause. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find it, you know, interesting, you know, I'm in the process of menopause right now. And, you know, it's like, Puberty, it takes a span of a number of years and so does menopause. And I find it fascinating, you know, like the transition that the body goes through. You know, when I went through puberty, I was not aware enough to like be the observer and, you know, like take note of things that are happening in my body. But as an adult, you know, going through menopause right now, it's like I've been sitting there just like observing like the hot flashes and how like where they origin in the body and how they spread out and all this kind of stuff. And it's been fascinating to watch the evolution over the last two, three years of them. And yeah. And I, and I wonder too, you know, like with, with the birth control pill, like I wonder like if we suppress a teenager's hormones during puberty, like does that have a long-term impact, you know, like on menopause and all these kinds of things. Like I have all these questions that I know we don't have answers to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it does actually, yeah. we do have an answer to that. Oh, great. I, I think it's such a great question too, because we often think, Oh, well, you know, like this is adolescence. This has nothing to do with perimenopause or menopause, but it actually does. And on my podcast, the period party, I was just talking about this with another doctor who was just basically saying that, we have to be preparing for this transition, right? For the menopausal transition right. long before. And the reason is, is because your menstrual cycle is on a continuum. So it's, I call it the menstrual life cycle, really, because that's what it is. And so if you are, for instance, on the pill for 15 years, which is not unheard of by any means, I, I've met many women over the yeah. years who have been, and you haven't had ovulatory cycles, you're lacking in the key hormones, that progesterone, the estradiol, the testosterone. And these hormones, like I was saying, are so critical for so many areas of our health. And if we don't have those over time, we're sort of just operating at this hormonal deficit. And it becomes more and more difficult to get back on track the longer you've been on the pill. In addition to other things too, there's you know huge amounts of stress and there are nutrient deficiencies and poor gut health and liver detoxification issues. And all of those sort of play into the perfect storm of hormonal imbalance and having trouble getting a regular cycle that feels healthy after you've been on the pill for a long period of time. So for sure that this is, I think, like I said, a continuum where we have to be paying attention and taking care of ourselves as best we can throughout the, the decades. Mm -hmm. And I love that menstrual life cycle. That's really cool. You know, and- yeah, it's really amazing. And, you know, to kind of go back to the teenagers and what you were saying before, um, you know, one, one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking, it's like, you know, we put our teenagers on the pill, yet we, you know, basically all the jumble of my thoughts, you know, the, the core message is, you know, it's like we're not educating our girls about fertility. And so, yes. you know, Yes, we're using the pill for hormonal problems to sort that out. Yes, we're using the pill to prevent conception, this kind of thing. But what if we were to, I mean, teenagers are really smart. You know, it's like when you spend yeah. time with teenagers, like they're freaking brilliant, <laughs> you know, and we don't, give them, we don't give them the credit. And, 
And, you know, what makes us think that they're not old enough or mature enough to understand how the fertility cycle works and how conception occurs and why can't, you know, why do we have resistance? Why don't we do this? You know, all these questions, you know, why don't we teach our girls to understand their cycles and empower them to be able to tell when they're fertile? Because, you know, I decided at 14, I was going to have sex and I was completely clueless about how my body worked. Like, I was before I had sex education in school. I grew up in a liberal state. I got sex education in seventh grade. I got it again as a sophomore. And when I had sex as a freshman, I thought as long as I wasn't bleeding, because my reference, I knew dogs got pregnant during heat, right? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's like you fill in the blanks of information that you don't know. And it's like, you know, at 14, I knew I didn't want to get pregnant. But I was completely clueless about how my body worked. And thank God, thank God I did not get pregnant because I had no condoms. I had nothing. You know, it's like just freaking luck. Yes. Wow. (laughs) I mean, but then you think about how many teenagers are in this position and I, it makes me crazy that we don't have comprehensive sex education as well as, you know, for girls, particularly uh, we, you know, what I would love to see is body literacy, period literacy education, where you're really understanding the menstrual cycle and how it actually works. The fact that the fact that girls are only fertile for literally like one to two days out of every single month is crazy because we are then put on a pill that will stop us from getting pregnant at all. I mean, for the most part, it's not hundred percent effective, but for one or two days, whereas boys and men are fertile every single day of their lives. Mm-hmm. So they can impregnate multiple women every single day of their lives. And yet we could only get pregnant for 12 to 24 hours really throughout um, every, you know, throughout each cycle. So this is, I think what has been, one of my biggest pet peeves is that we are so terrified of our bodies. In fact, I really feel like the education that we currently receive just makes us scared, right? It scares us into not having sex or uh, having sex, um, you know, at different times in our cycle because we might get pregnant or whatever. And, you know, like you said, you were just, you were just sort of putting things together and thinking, oh, well, as long as I'm on my period, you know, or not on my period, it's all good, right? So yeah, not on my period. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm saying is that we are just piecing together this information, as you said, and have no clear standard for this kind of education and information. And it's such an incredible disservice when I think about teenage pregnancy rates and and just girls not having an understanding of how their bodies work until their 30s or 40s. I can't tell you how many women have said to me, wait a second, why didn't anybody tell me this before? <laughs> I mean, right. it's always some variation of that question. Yeah. And they're always stunned by this and kind of pissed. People get really upset when mm-hmm. they realize that they have this information has essentially been withheld from them for so long and it could have saved them a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah. And I've come across that so much about so many different things about women's body, not only with the cycle, but also with pleasure, orgasm, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like I've met women, you know, I've worked with women in their seventies who, you know, had never had an orgasm and, you know, in their seventies, they're learning how to become orgasmic and just being really upset. Like, you know, I have lived my entire life with 
out this information and I feel like I have missed out. Like no one, yeah, yeah, they can totally be upset. There is nothing wrong with being upset about that. And, you know, as I was going through my own personal journey, you know, learning about the cycle and this kind of stuff, you know, like I was like, okay, the scientists know this information. Like this is not a secret. Like this information is out there. I am going to, you know, the library. I am looking in medical journals. I am learning that, you know, sperm can live inside the female body in in the you know fertile conditions for five to seven days you know it's like there's like all these little nuggets of information like that we have no clue about our mothers don't know to teach us and it's like okay well the scientists know this this is scientific fact why are we not teaching this I love that you brought this up because I sort of had this mini rant the other day on social media about this about the fact that we are, this information is there. The evidence is 100% there. In fact, in 2015, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists released a report saying that menstruation should be recognized as a vital sign in girls and adolescents. And of course, I extend that to pretty much everyone, but this is well-known information. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, it's well-established information. Well-known is a different story. And I feel as though it's either being completely ignored or it's being suppressed or uh, doctors would rather just, you know, follow a protocol rather than investigate what's going on. Because what they went on to say in that report was that the identification of abnormal menstrual patterns in adolescents actually is an early warning sign for potential health concerns uh, for right then happening right then or for adulthood. And so this is like, common knowledge that physicians should have an understanding of what's going on with adolescence periods. And yet uh, what's, what are they, what do they do? They just put them on the pill, almost no questions asked. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. had conversations with 11 year olds who've been put on the pill. Meanwhile, endometriosis can be diagnosed at the age of 10. And yet that, you know, that's essentially what I think is delaying the diagnosis of serious conditions that can have really uh, hardcore implications for a person's health. And these these d- delays sometimes are up to 10 years for someone to get a diagnosis in something mm-hmm. like endometriosis. So right. this, you know, mm-hmm. it all plays into, into this one big problem, which is that we are ignoring the evidence that really um, shows that these are problems that are fundamental um, to, you know, so many girls and women. And yet we're And yeah, we're just ignoring them, which is a huge issue and subsequently ignoring major health problems. It is a huge issue. And and you're absolutely right. You know, it's like when usually these problems, you know, so a girl experiences discomfort in her teenage years, they put her on the pill and then she comes off when she's ready to become pregnant. Now, all the issues that we could have addressed when she was a teenager because her cycle is out of balance, maybe she has endometriosis, PCOS, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, we swept all these problems under the rug and now she wants to get pregnant and her period doesn't come back after she comes off the pill, you know, and so it's like all these different things that, you know, could have been addressed a long time ago now are five, 10 years cemented into, you know, her, her biological patterns or whatever and so yeah i it's, it's it's a huge issue and i think part of the problem is you know 
I don't know, 2013, I went and bought myself a gynecology textbook. I wanted to know what the doctors were learning. This puppy is like 10 pounds. It's like five inches, six inches thick. And I went to look to see what do they know? What are they teaching about the menstrual cycle? What are they teaching about, you know, the hormone, the fertility cycle? Are they teaching fertility awareness? Are they like, is there anything about that? And there's like nothing. There's nothing. And it's just like, it's this whole piece of education that is really being overlooked. And unless a physician like goes and like buys books off the shelf that are written by normal people, they're not going to like learn these things, which is mind boggling to me. Me too. I've had multiple physicians re- review my book and say that they learned so much, which is sort of simultaneously gratifying and terrifying at the same time Yeah, because these people are charged with treating us and it's not happening. And this, you know, this whole thing of, uh, you know, teenage periods being susceptible to food and lifestyle and stress and all of these things, just as adult periods are, is so real. And just to speak to what you said earlier about how teenagers are incredibly smart, they're really intuitive, they can figure this out. It's just a matter of do we, how do we, you know, how do we teach this information to them in an appropriate manner um, so that they get it and they understand the importance of it? Because really right now, like when you think about these, you know, symptoms like a missing period or lack of ovulation or heavy bleeding um, or periods that last for more than eight days, extreme period pain that's disrupting school or daily life, or, you know, consistently having very irregular periods or periods that come way more often than, you know, every 25 days, Uh, you know, all of these over like a three to four month period, if that's consistently happening, we should be looking at that and we should be really investigating the cause. And even ACOG says that they say we should be looking at the cause of this, not just, you know, slapping a birth control pill on the problem to basically shut your body up. Because, what we, what we don't realize or what we maybe haven't figured out is that all of these symptoms are just your body speaking to you. It's just speaking in a different language. And mm-hmm. so it's telling you or they're telling you that something has gone awry hormonally and it's up to us to now start to piece together the clues and figure out how to address it. And in most cases, as you well know, I mean, dietary changes can help tremendously and not huge ones either. Uh, And then stress management as well. Exercise is a big issue. A lot of teenagers over-exercise. I totally was one of those, um, which makes sense why my periods were so irregular. And, um, and, you know, really just basic things like that can go such a long way to changing periods for teenagers, especially because they're so young and things, you know, small changes add up to huge results. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really before, you know, those problems have become ingrained and that sort of thing, you know, you you know, five, 10 years of, of hormone imbalance versus, you know, like, oh, a period or cycle, you know, hormone cycle that's just getting ramped up and by puberty, you know, and it's like, oh, we have a little issue here. We can maybe use some herbs or some dietary adjustments and, you know, modify lifestyle a little bit here and there and kind of smooth things out and balance it out. And so, yeah, I think, I think, educating, you know, moms and girls that this is a possible, you know, that, that you don't have to suffer (laughs) through, through uncomfortable symptoms. And I think that's another important point too, is that, you know, girls don't realize that this isn't normal and that they can ask for help. You know, by the time we hit menopause, it's like, we know we can ask for help, you know, but as a teenager, we don't, 
get, you know, we don't have a sense of what's normal or, you know, that there can be help for these kinds of discomforts. Very true. I know. I I think that that's another big issue is that when we do ask for help, uh, we're, you know, this is a whole other, I suppose, problem you could say in our society. But I find that in my experience and that of so many of my clients and others I've spoken to is that when you do ask for help, oftentimes your pleas for help are dismissed. You're told that this is all in your head or Mm -hmm. you're offered an antidepressant or some other kind of medication to just, you know, pat on the head, calm you down and send you (laughs) on your way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the patriarchal medical system, I think, has been so incredibly damaging to women over the last, whatever, five decades that that I think is, you know, issues that are almost generational and need to be undone. And it's going to take a while to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, back in what, hundreds of years ago, when the patriarchy took over the whole medicine aspect, you know, childbirth, childbearing, uh, delivering babies, and then as a result, burned all the women at the stake kind of thing, you know, all yes. the wise women. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it's like we a lost other podcast episode, but yeah, oh yeah, actually, real, I have right? one on that. I, oh, I don't do. know if you. Yeah, I do with John Riddle. He he's like this historian who like he delved into like all the herbs of antiquity and like went through like the the medical treaties of Diosocrates and like all these. It's super fascinating. So yeah, <laughs> I I cool. love that stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I okay, actually I'm have had to take him. a listen to that one. Yeah, actually, there's two. Call. There's two episodes. So one of them is already published. It's available on the on the in the archives, and the other one is going to be coming up. I'm not sure if I'm going to release it before or after your episode. So there might be two, but there okay. is two, and I'm hoping to get a third interview from him because I just it's super fascinating. I love the conversation around herbs and fertility and yes. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know he's a professor from. Uh, uh, the North Carolina uh, University, University of North Carolina, and he's since retired. But so I'm like, I kind of think of it as like a like a Joseph Campbell moment, you know, where where like Bill Moyers is sitting there interviewing Joseph Campbell, and there's like a series of like six hour long interviews, and like he's getting all this amazing information. I kind of like see myself as that, you know, kind of thing. It's like, oh, let me pick his brain, you know, because he's retired <laughs> now, he's aging, you know. It's like, yeah, so. So we gotta, I, really I feel fun. like we have to we have to tune into these people before we lose this incredible knowledge. It really is true. And yes. that's and that's part of the reason why I want to have these conversations with him because you know, he's had opportunity to see things that people haven't seen in hundreds of years. Like he was telling me like some of the manuscripts that he was looking at were like hundreds of years old. Like he was the first person to like lay eyes on it since they like tucked it away in their safe place or whatever. And I'm like fascinating so cool (laughs) yeah so so yeah so just as a little aside but yeah i'm very very interested in herbs and how they affect the menstrual cycle and that's really one of the things that kind of led me down this rabbit hole and helped me end up where i am today is just that interest in herbal knowledge and you know i used to have a lot of you know painful uncomfortable cramps with my cycle and i found this one herbal product that made a huge difference. And I was just like, I am sold. And then they stopped making it, which made me very sad. (laughs) But it worked so well. And, you know, so I was convinced. And so let's talk a little bit about like, you know, what does a healthy period look like? Great question. I often get questions like, 
I am experiencing X, Y, Z. Is this normal? <laughs> and mm-hmm. again, this comes back to this lack of comprehensive education about our cycles and the fact that we just have no clue what's normal, what's not. So I think the first thing to know is that when it comes to the length of your actual period, I like to see a period somewhere between three and seven days. I find anything less than that is often me or often signifies that ovulation isn't occurring or uh, there's not an, an adequate estrogen buildup so that uh, you know ovulation actually is triggered. Um, and then these periods are a lot lighter, they're more scanty, things like that. And then on the flip side of that, I find that heavier periods, eight days or more, are a sign of, um, of either lack of ovulation or uh, also estrogen dominance, low thyroid function, things of that nature. And so the three to seven day window is, is what I like to see. And then in terms of the menstrual cycle itself, I really like to see a menstrual cycle that consistently falls within the 25 to 35 day window, mm-hmm. because that to me tells me that there are no issues with ovulation, or there's nothing that is disrupting ovulation from happening on a consistent basis. If you have periods that come every 45 days or 60 days or whatever, what's happening there is ovulation is delayed. And so when ovulation is delayed, you have to figure out the reason why. And again, it comes back to uh, ovulation and your menstrual cycle as being this fifth vital sign so it shows that there's something else going on and, and it could be multiple things. It, it takes a little bit of, of investigation. However, I find that nutrient deficiencies and then the overall stress and things of that nature often resolve uh, ovulation that is irregular. And then uh, below that, so anything below that 25-day threshold, I find too, again, that oftentimes it's an estrogen dominance, low progesterone situation, ovulation is... Uh, oftentimes not occurring. So there's, uh, you know, you've got heavier periods, a short luteal phase. These are all issues that tend to show up when your cycles are shorter. And then the other thing about periods is what do they look like and what do they feel like? (laughs) And so when it comes to period blood, I find that uh, there are a range of colors, but or a range of ranges of red, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. So these, uh, this period, period blood generally is going to be darker when it first comes out. It's just slower moving blood. It's, it's oxidized, it's supposed to oxygen. So it, it becomes a little bit darker, a little rustier. Uh, but then um, as it gets going, it should be more of that red color. It doesn't need to be fire engine red. Just a shade of red is good to go. If it's really, really dark, that means it's been sitting for a long time. Oftentimes, I find that indicates that the uterus is malpositioned, so it's more difficult for blood to come out. So if someone is experiencing that, that's often what, I'm, what I see. Uh, and then I would refer them to a pelvic physical therapist or someone who works on the pelvic floor to help them figure out what's going on with their uterus position. And then uh, for someone on the opposite end of that spectrum, if their period is watery or light, very light red or almost pinkish, again, that means estrogen deficiency. It means your estrogen is not building your uterine lining the way that you need it to. Um, And the other thing too, with period blood in general is you want it to flow. (laughs) If it's clumpy or really thick and, uh, you know, kind of looks like crushed up blueberries for lack of really a better term, uh, oftentimes that too signifies to me that something's up with the uterus position, something's going on where 
uh, estrogen is potentially too high, progesterone is too low. So you're, you're losing, um, or your blood is just like clumping up and it's causing, uh, you know, it's basically causing it to not move the way it should move, which is like I said, that flow feeling that you want to achieve. The other thing too, I think is the pain. So we've been sort of programmed to believe that period pain is completely normal. It's no big deal. Uh, you know, like we were talking about before, a lot of the times we get dismissed and that's why something like endometriosis takes so long to be diagnosed, but period pain is not normal. I think if you have to take an Advil or here or there, that to me is not a big deal, but if it's disrupting your life, then it's, it's usually indicative of something going on. And, uh, you know, I always kind of say that uterine pain is so normalized, but pain in other parts of our body is never normal. And we usually go to the doctor, we go to somebody to figure out what is causing it and we get a solution. And then with period pain, not so much. Anyways, so when we're talking about pain, again, if it's not disrupting your life, it's probably okay. If it is, it could be anything. I mean, it could be like we were saying endometriosis. It could be that you're generally just really inflamed and your body is responding uh, with period pain consistently. So yeah, I feel like those are some of the things. I mean, there's so much more, but I, mm-hmm. I think that that's a good sort of summary. Yeah, no, actually, that's really great. And as you're talking, I have like several questions now. <laughs> of course. I know, so, right? so uh, my question. So as you're talking, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's been a while since I had a period and, you know, many years since I've had challenging periods. But I remember now as you're talking, like my first day of my period was always the worst, like the crampiest. I felt the worst, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm curious, like, do you have any thoughts about like really rough days of first periods? Yeah, definitely. So when you think about the fact that, uh, you know, when you think about the hormone fluctuations with your cycle, uh, one of the more important things to remember is that progesterone is high during your luteal phase. So that's the phase leading up to your actual period. And when it drops, it drops pretty significantly right before you actually get your period. Progesterone is an anti-inflammatory hormone. So when when it drops that significantly, it, it triggers this inflammatory response, essentially. So menstruation really is like an inflammatory event. And so it makes sense because you're, sh- you're like literally shedding your uterine lining, you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is one of the, the, the big reasons why we just generally feel so achy and not so great when we do get our periods and low energy and all of that too. So that to me would indicate what is possibly happening. So when there's so much inflammation in the body, what happens is our, our uterus is essentially um, releasing uh, prostaglandins. And so prostaglandins can be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. So the prostaglandins that are released essentially get the uterine muscles to contract and then those muscles contract and our our period comes. Um, Prostaglandins, like I said, pro-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory. If we have a high level of those pro-inflammatory prostaglandins, we will find that we have much more pain than someone who does not. And that comes back to our gut health, our liver, our toxin exposure, all of that kind of stuff to that will basically determine how inflamed we are and how much pain we experience at with our periods. So I would say that that's probably what was going on or what would be going on with someone. Uh, it's a combination of progesterone dropping precipitously mm-hmm. and, uh, and then inflammation throughout the body. 
Mm-hmm. And would you say the same, like for people who like feel physically sick, like maybe nauseous or um, like get headachey on the first day of their period t- generally, same type of thing? Yes. Prostaglandins travel sucks mm-hmm. for us. <laughs> and <laughs> so they, you know, are, when you think about your uterus, your reproductive organs, and then you think about your bowel, very closely related. So those prostaglandins travel, they trigger nausea, vomiting for some people, uh, they cause migraines for others. Mm-hmm. So Loose for bowels sure. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. And also I have some questions around like, um, like the first day or yeah. So first day of bleeding, like some people have very like dark brown or clotty starts to their periods. And I've heard mm-hmm. people say like, oh, this is old blood coming out. But then as you're talking and say, oh, well, this is probably just the uterus being out of position and it's pooling. And I was like, oh, maybe that makes more sense. But I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts? Like, is it possible for the uterus to like retain tissue from the previous cycle and then like get rid of it the following cycle? Like, yeah, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, essentially what you said is, is what I said mostly. So it's this, you know, the brown or very dark blood is definitely that sign of slower moving blood at the beginning or the end of your cycle. Mm -hmm. And that slow moving blood, as I was saying, is exposed to more oxygen. So it's just darker. Uh, But basically when your uterus is in this flexed position, or they call it tipped, you know, tipped uterus Mm -hmm. um, or a tilted uterus, it might slow down the flow of menstrual blood leaving the body. And then that blood uh, becomes brown in color. And this malposition just makes it harder for the uterus to expel all the blood. And so you might see that brown flow or the spotting from a previous cycle. So it's really just left over and it's coming, you know, it's it's trying to push it out this time. Um, So I really, I think that that's really what it comes down to. And what I find is that oftentimes this issue is, you know, you'll notice pelvic pain, cramping, constipation, low back pain during your period. So those are times where I'm thinking, okay, there, there must be uh, something going on physically. And then I would mm-hmm. refer someone to, uh, like I said, a pelvic physical therapist or someone who does visceral manipulation right. or an Arvigo therapist, someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking my abdominal massage. Yep. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, Okay. And yeah, and the same. So at the end of the period too, and the when the blood starts to slow down or get more clotty, it's it's um, the same thing. It gets darker at the end. Yeah, of the that's period what too. I find. And yeah. I find too that from you know this can be caused by a lot of different things, but oftentimes we're sitting for so many hours in a day mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. this point. And uh, you know, I, I remember talking to a visceral manipulation therapist who I quoted in the book, and she talked about. Uh, excessive wearing of high heels, sitting improperly uh, for long periods of time. Um, she also talked about uh, sexual abuse uh, that you know, or falls, anything that could disrupt the positioning of these organs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've heard about that too. You know, like falls can kind of knock things out of out of alignment and cause problems. So you mentioned before a little bit about thyroid health. And so can you talk a little bit more about thyroid health and um, just general hormones, the impact and stuff? Because I know, of course, you know, we've been talking about estrogen and progesterone and, um, you know, the the menstrual cycle is, you know, connected to the HPAT access and, you know, all these different things. There's more hormones involved. So I'm curious to... Uh, have you talk a little bit about the thyroid and the other hormones that are involved? Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that again, you know, this is where the lack of education is so apparent where the 
there's no real understanding that the thyroid plays such a crucial role in the menstrual cycle. And when we think about um, the various axes in the body, there are, you know, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis you mentioned, and then there's the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, but there's also another axis called the ovarian adrenal thyroid axis. And really what all of this means in simple terms is that all of these glands in our endocrine system and the hormones that they make are communicating with each other. They're one vast network and mm -hmm. there's not one that is outside the, you know, the reach of any other one. And so that's really what I think we have to understand or take away from this conversation. And so when it comes to your thyroid, your thyroid hormones have a really critical impact on your ovarian function. So interestingly, thyroid disease, whether that's hypothyroidism or low thyroid function or hyper, which is uh, over um, function of the thyroid, both of these disrupt ovulation. And so this can result in a progesterone deficiency where when ovulation doesn't occur, uh, the corpus luteum, which it was the follicle the egg came out of, is not formed uh, properly. And then there is no progesterone production in that second half of the cycle. So this hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism, essentially what they do is they disrupt uh, pituitary hormone production, particularly FSH and LH. And so this totally messes with the ovulatory process that begins in the brain. Um, in addition to that too, hypothyroidism, so lack of quality thyroid hormone, what it does is it deprives ovarian follicles that they need to develop. So those follicles actually need thyroid hormone mm -hmm. in order to grow and get to the point of ovulation. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is too, is that hypothyroidism actually diminishes insulin sensitivity, which is part of why so many women with PCOS also have uh, concurrent thyroid disease. And of course, this further exacerbates um, progesterone deficiency, excess estrogen in the body. So it's, you know, again, really important for us to be checking out our thyroids. I think one of the biggest issues with the thyroid and its connection to our menstrual cycles and fertility is that it's kind of ignored and it's not tested properly. When, when we're testing our thyroid, we really want to do a full thyroid panel so that we can get a full picture of what's happening with our thyroid. Whereas oftentimes doctors will just test TSH and maybe T4. And that just doesn't give you a full idea of what is happening, especially with T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. So it really comes back to uh, understanding the symptoms associated with hypo or hyperthyroidism. And so for hypothyroidism, Oftentimes it relates to heavy periods, long periods of bleeding, so eight days or more, uh, hair loss, um, weight gain, uh, you'll notice things and period pain. So that's another big one too. And then with hyperthyroidism, it's kind of the opposite. So periods are scanty or missing completely. Uh, you'll notice maybe you just spot. Um, also too, you might notice that your period, like I said, just disappears completely. Uh, and then you'll find that your um, you know, really sensitive to temperature changes too. Um, so those are some of the signs with hyperthyroidism as it relates to your period. So that's why I think that if we're, you know, if we're experiencing these symptoms, it's so important for us to, to dig just a little bit deeper and not just take a birth control pill, because it could be that there's something going on with your thyroid. Mm -hmm, yeah. And 
Wow, he just said so much there that I, I actually kind of want to unpack some of that. So for people who don't know about the thyroid, you know, um, I kind of think of the thyroid as the master controller hormone. It's kind of like sits up here in, in uh, you know, in your brain and like controls everything. Like, you know, hypo means it's slowing everything down. Hyper means it's speeding things up. And so as you're talking here, you know, and you're saying how it's, suppressing the LH and the FSH. And I'm like, okay, so this is like before the menstruation, before the menstrual cycle even gets started, it's being suppressed. Like um, in, in our other episodes, you know, we've talked a lot about FSH and um, LH. So basically these are the hormones that, you know, get your, your eggs developing and also cause ovulation. And so if you, don't have these hormones happening you can't have it's not possible to have a normal cycle and then you mentioned too the insulin sensitivity issue like that is huge like all the weight gain that comes along with you know like a a slower working thyroid or you know as as i'm approaching menopause and and going into menopause here you know it's like i'm noticing the weight gain and stuff too you know (laughs) it's like i know Mm -hmm. i I hit my 40s and i was like wait a second (laughs) what's happening here it's yeah it's 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 amazing and one point you made too about the thyroid panel which i want to just kind of reiterate for people because this is really important you know it's like when they typically measure the TSH hormone, that's a measure of how well your pituitary gland is doing. It's not actually a measurement of how well your thyroid is doing. There's actually, what, four or five different thyroid hormones that can be measured. And it really takes a full thyroid panel to see what is actually going on with your thyroid. Because if you're only measuring the TSH, you're you're, what you're measuring is how hard your pituitary gland is working to pump out those hormones, and you don't actually see where the imbalance is. So I think, um, yeah. you know, if somebody is experiencing these types of problems, you know, going to a, func- a functional medicine doctor will probably get you better results because they will have a, you know, um, a greater understanding of the importance of the full thyroid panel. Yes. Amen to all of that. I, I love all of this and I cannot agree with you more. And I think about uh, the the different types of thyroid hormones that want, that are included in a full thyroid panel. And I completely agree. And I would even add on to that and say that unfortunately in allopathic medicine, they typically have different ranges as well that are, are significantly more wider than the functional medicine ranges or the optimal ranges. And so oftentimes subclinical thyroid problems are completely missed because you're kind of just in the lower end or the higher end of right. that very wide range. And, yeah. and that's a huge issue too. So at the end of the day, basically we all have to advocate hard for ourselves is what mm-hmm, it comes mm-hmm, down to. Mm-hmm. That's really true. And, you know, with, with those, um, you know, the lab reference ranges, you know, I, I use this as a, an example for people, you know, glucose is a very common measured hormone and, you know, once you go over the magic number of 100, you know, they'll, you know, give you the label of diabetes. But if you're at 99, they won't slap you with the label kind of thing. They'll warn you, maybe, maybe your doctor will warn you, or maybe your doctor will just say, oh, you're still normal. Don't worry, you're good. 
But, you know, just because that one point of difference, do you think you're any further away from diabetes at 99? If you are at 100, you're really not. You know, it's just like that magic number that they're saying. It's like if you're at the upper end of that range, it's like you are having trouble managing your blood sugar and left unattended. You will get labeled as a diabetic, you know, it's like and so. I think it's important to to make that point about lab reference ranges just because you're in the quote unquote normal and your doctor looks at it and says, oh, everything's normal. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. I am an advocate, like get copies of your reports, you know, get copies yes. of your pap smears, get copy of your blood test results, get copies of everything because, you know, your doctor, you know, the medical records get destroyed after seven years. And it's like, you might want that information someday. And plus, you know, I think, you know, these are your reports. You know, you don't have to understand it all, but I think you should get copies and look at them. And if you have questions, ask. And if there's things that, you know, if you're at 99 on your glucose and your doctor is telling you fine, you know, that's a suggestion for you to uh, make some lifestyle changes and move yourself a little further away from that diabetic diagnosis. (laughs) Yes, I could not agree with you more. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So we're closing in on our on the top of the hour here. And I just want to check in with you, Nicole, to see, like, is there anything else that we didn't hit that you think that we should talk about before we wrap things up here today? I feel like we covered a lot of ground. We really I don't did. think there's anything else. I think I feel like we covered it all. At least I think I do. Awesome. Well, I know that you have a free gift for everybody, um, a free period quiz. So people can find out what's going on with their cycle. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So it is my period quiz, as you just said. And really what it is, is questions that are going to sort of move you in the direction to starting to figure out what could be going on with your period. Obviously, it is not medical advice or to be replaced uh, by seeing a doctor, but it can be really helpful to understand the hormones or the hormone imbalances that are playing a role in the symptoms that you're experiencing. And so that's really my goal with it. Awesome. That's great. You know, and I was just looking over my notes here real quick, just to make sure I didn't like miss any questions here, because this has been such a great conversation. And my last question here is I wrote down, it's like, how do you investigate, like to find out what is like delaying ovulation? Like what, what do you do to help people figure out like what is going on with their cycle? I think the besides the, the quiz, first, <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's an easy one. Um, uh-huh. One of the first things I've always done with my clients is to have them start tracking their cycle. So they're mm-hmm. actually charting their basal body temperature, they're charting their cervical fluid patterns, and they're really charting or tracking the symptoms that they experience throughout the different phases of their cycle. Um, particularly paying attention to what they're experiencing during their periods and then right before and right after, because those can really tell us so, so much. Mm -hmm. I I think that paying attention to symptoms is one of the most crucial things that any of us can do and and charting them and tracking them as well and, and making a note of those so that they have them. Like you said, I loved what you said about taking, making sure that you get a copy of all of your test results and all of that. This kind of data is invaluable. When I think Mm -hmm. about charting my cycle and the fact that I've been doing this for so long, I look back at my charts from 10 years ago and I'm like, wow, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. that was vastly different to what it is now. Mm -hmm. And and I think that if we have this information, it is, it can be a game changer. So I really start there. And then from there, we can kind of determine, you know, what needs to happen. And oftentimes, again, because I'm a health coach, we're working on 
the food side of things, we're working on stabilizing blood sugar and insulin. We're addressing uh, stress management techniques and cortisol issues. And there's also hormone testing as well, which I think is incredibly helpful, but it's not always available to everybody. And so when you're looking at symptomology, that's really where I think a lot of the clues lie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of blood tests too, um, there's this company called um, Life Extension and mm-hmm. they have this amazing female panel, which is, I don't know, 50 some odd tests, maybe more, probably more. And like they're, t- you know, CBC, comprehensive metabolic panel, um, thyroid hormones, um, at least the TSH. I don't think they do the whole panel. Um, the, the reproductive hormones, so estrogen, uh, progesterone, testosterone. Um, and it's just a really great panel, a lot of the inflammatory markers and this kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, $260, $70, something like that. Wow, and then they put wow. it on sale um, once a year in the spring for like 200 bucks. And like, it's an amazing panel. And since I know you're a health coach, um, if you don't know about this company, if you ever have clients who, who need blood work, you know, you can get it everywhere, I think, except for New York. They, they have a, some weird regulations in New we York. We don't have about, great laws here. <laughs> uh-huh, is that where you are in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they kind of restrict things a little bit. But just for people who, you know, if you ever want to just have blood work done, you can just go online and order it. And, you know, they'll send you a blood trial order and you can go to your local lab core and they'll draw it. And it's super reasonable. Like, if you were to pay retail for a, a battery of tests like that, easily 1500 bucks. Easily. So, yeah. Yeah. So, no doubt. Yeah. So if anybody's struggling with their hormones, that's a great place to start. Like I love it when my clients will go and do that panel. I'm like, yes, because it gives me so much great information. So, yes. so charting the cycle, I do think teenagers should chart their cycle. I really think so. I don't think that it's over their heads. I, I think that we need to establish trust in our teenagers. And I truly believe that they're perfectly capable of charting their cycles, understanding them. Um, I, I think that obviously instilling the this knowledge and the responsibility of this knowledge is so crucial, but it's really something we need to do. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't see any other way forward when it comes to um, addressing teenage pregnancy and all of the other issues that come with uh you know, the, with just using birth, using hormonal birth control and, and just the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, when I started learning how to chart my cycle, like it made me feel like so connected to my body. Like it felt so empowering to have that level of understanding and be like, oh, if I have sex today and I don't use a condom, I'm going to get pregnant. Do I want that? No, I don't. So guess what? I'm going to use a condom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's relatively simple. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and having that level of knowledge and understanding about your body. I mean, God, it was so empowering. And, and you're right. Like having years worth of charts to look back over, I think is super cool, you know, and Mm -hmm. you know, it gives you so much information about your body. So yes, chart your cycle. Ladies, if you don't, there's lots of great books. I have webinars that are available. Nicole, I'm sure you have resources available too. We'll post all that in the show notes for people. 
And I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really great conversation. I love talking to you. I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) I can tell. Thank you so much, Robin. It was Mm -hmm. really good to be on the show with you. Oh, thanks so much. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And please do go check out Nicole's stuff. And if you enjoyed the show, please follow me on your favorite podcasting platform. And we'll see you next week or next time. We uh, change the format. So I'm not sure. It's a little more uh, uh, less structured. (laughs) So that's all good. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.